Greetings to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Sunday School Podcast for June 12, 2022. This is the Festival of the Holy Trinity. And today for our Sunday School lesson, we'll be looking at John chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. Let me read through it real quick, and then we'll get back and uh, comment on this rather fascinating text a little bit. The... Uh, The text reads like this, and I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. I want to make that clear for uh, reasons that will be clear soon. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, an Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews, that it was Jesus who had healed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So here we have the healing of the lame man at the pool of Bethesda, and by itself, it's an impressive miracle. It's astonishing. We have a man who's been an invalid for 38 years, which means he wasn't a plant that Jesus put through the day before, so he could, you know, heal him and succor the crowd. And not only has he been lame for 38 years, but he's been lying at this pool for a long time. And Jesus comes along and tells this invalid to stand up and pick up his bed. And the guy picks up his bed and walks. He's healed. So by itself, an impressive miracle is Jesus shows his power over sin and injury and affliction. But there's a lot more going on in this text. So, a few things I want to point out. This is only John chapter 5, but a lot has happened in the Gospel of John already. First off, we have John chapter 1, which begins, you probably know, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So, as John begins his Gospel about Jesus, God in human flesh, he begins with saying, Jesus is, in fact, the eternal Son of God who was there at creation and... 
In John chapter 1, verse 3, John declares that through him, through Jesus, all things were made. So as God spoke and said, let there be light, light was created through Jesus, the word who would later be the word made flesh. So John begins by saying that, that your redeemer is also your creator. Next in John chapter 1, we have a contrast in verse 17. And it's a contrast between law and gospel or Moses and Jesus. And so John 1.17 says, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now remember, the law is a holy thing. It's God's holy law and it is good. But because we're sinful, we can't keep it. And so it condemns us because it shows how unholy we are. That's why we need the Savior. That's why we need Jesus to come and die in our place and give us, grace us with forgiveness. So here we have in John 1.17, he's setting up this contrast. Both are, are holy and good things. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So in the Gospel of John and really all the Gospels, there will be a tension between God's holy commands, his law, and Christ and the gospel that he gives. And of course, the Pharisees, the leaders of the Jews, misuse the law to say, if you keep the law well enough, God will love you and you, you will have earned your salvation, which is completely against the message that Christ declares that we cannot keep the law, so he has kept it for us and died to save us. One more theme before we get to our, our back to our text, and that is the theme of water. The Gospel of John never directly describes the baptism of Jesus, but yet there's hints of God working through baptism throughout, and especially in the first few chapters. So in John chapter 2, Jesus goes to the wedding at Cana and he turns water into wine which is a demonstration to all, one, that he has power over creation to turn water into wine, and also that he comes to give something better. He, uh, he provides wine, good wine, the best wine where there was only water before. So that's water turned to wine in chapter 2, something new, a new creation. In John chapter 3, Jesus mixed meets with Nicodemus and tells him, unless a man is born again of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So there's a reference to, to holy baptism. Then in John chapter 4, Jesus meets a Samaritan woman at the well and, and tells her that uh, he has living water to give and that whoever he gives living water to, streams of living water will flow forth from them. And and that's a uh, that's a hint towards Ezekiel 47 and Revelation 22. In both those passages, there's a vision of God's temple, and out of the temple um, flows a river that gives life. And Christ declares that whoever believes in him, he says this to the Samaritan woman, whoever believes in him will be a temple of the Holy Spirit, and they'll be full of his life, and that life will flow to others through the word that they proclaim. So, so there's our three themes before we get to this passage. Um, remember, John 1 verse 3 connects Jesus to, be, to creation, because through him all things were made. 
John 1.17 draws the contrast between Moses and Jesus, between law and gospel. And then we have this theme of water in John chapter 2 and 3 and 4. And now we get to John chapter 5. And we read it already, but the first verse again is, After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Which feast? The Bible doesn't say. Since Jesus goes up to Jerusalem, we guess that is probably one of the three big pilgrimage festivals, which would be Passover, Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks, or else the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. In fact, some lean heavily toward it being the Feast of Tabernacles because that one was called the Feast. However, that one takes place in the fall after a long, hot summer, so there probably wouldn't be any water left in the Pool of Bethesda. Whichever feast it is doesn't matter, but with each of these feasts, the festival is a reminder of God's works of redemption in the past, how he brought them out of Egypt, how he kept them safe and fed in the wilderness, how he delivered in the promised land. And each of these festivals expresses the hope and the confidence that God will continue to be present with his people and grant them his favor and grant them his blessing. So, always Jerusalem is called the holy city, but during a festival, people are especially conscious of God's gifts and blessings in the past and present and hope for the future. So, here Jesus is, here God in the flesh is, who has come to redeem them, And we read in in verse 2, Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. So this pool is by the Sheep Gate. And it's called the Sheep Gate because this is where the sheep are brought into the city from the fields and taken to the temple for sacrifice. So this is the shortest route from outside the city to the temple. And and so there's, there's some symbolism going on here that Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, um, he heals this man close to the sheep gate because he is going to um, redeem this man and, and, and all by being the sacrificial Passover lamb. So this pool is by the Sheep Gate. It's called Bethesda, which probably means House of Mercy. And this pool is surrounded by five colonnades in which lay a multitude of invalids, a huge crowd of those who are blind and lame and paralyzed, who who need help, who need deliverance, who need healing. Um, they're around this pool. It's it's the uh, the Greek there suggests it's a pool of a pretty good depth and size. It's not just a shallow little pond. But why are all of these invalids there? And uh, and 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 why are there colonnades built for them? Well, there's a verse that is not in the English Standard Version, although it is printed in many modern English translations like the New King James Version, the New American Standard Version, and others. And verse 4 says this about the pool. It says, For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water, was made well of whatever disease he had. 
All right, so now we have an explanation of why all the invalids are there every now and then. Don't know how often, and it's not a regular occurrence, but every now and then, says this verse, an angel stirs up the water, and whoever gets in first is made well of whatever disease he has. That explains why all the invalids are there. That explains why colonnades are built there. Now, here's here's the hitch. The reason this verse does not show up in some translations, including the English Standard Version, is because it's not in the earliest manuscripts of the Bible. It's just not there. It gets written in just a little bit later. In fact, easily by the second century, a lot of the manuscripts of the Gospel of John have this verse inserted in there. So what do we make of this? We make of this that somebody very early on helpfully added this verse to explain why all these invalids were in these colonnades around the pool. So it's not part of the original manuscript. It's not part of God's holy inspired scripture, but that doesn't mean it isn't true. It gives a good explanation of why the invalids are there. The early church, early Christians, left it in there, which meant they believed it to be true. And so we include it here to explain why all these invalids are are waiting by this pool, waiting because every now and then an angel stirs up the water and someone gets healed. And of course, you can see in this, there's, there's some foreshadowing of baptism Every now and then, an angel shows up. Whoever gets in the water is healed. Far better, whenever there's baptism, whenever God's word and water are combined, Christ is there for sure, and the one baptized has made a new creation in him. All right, so now through uh, verses 1 through 3 and and the uh, the mysterious addition of verse 4. We move on to verse 5 and read, One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? Now, as we said before, 38 years is just a long time. Jesus hasn't been in the flesh, born of Mary for 38 years at this point. So he didn't say 38 years before to this guy, hey, go pretend to be an invalid so I can heal you 38 years from now. So part of this is just that he's obviously a man who's been an invalid for a long time. And and so um, he's no doubt got muscle atrophy and and, and he's not going to jump up and walk and carry his bed unless it's a miracle. But there's something more here with this number 38. Remember, there's a contrast in John between Moses and Jesus, and thus between Israel's time in the wilderness and the promised land. And we have an interesting reference to to 38 years in Deuteronomy 2.14. And this is near the end of the 40 years in the wilderness. And remember why Israel was in the wilderness for 40 years? When they left Egypt, they got to the edge of the promised land pretty quickly, and Moses sent 12 spies into the land to reconnoiter and see what was going on. And when they came back, they said, it's a beautiful place. The crops are abundant. The the clusters of grapes are huge. Oh, and by the way, there are also a lot of people, angry looking big people there who are going to oppose us. And rather than trust that God would deliver the land in their hands, 
most of the Israelites rebelled and grumbled against God. And so there, at a place called Kadesh or Kadesh Barnea, God declared that Israel would wander in the wilderness for 40 years while that generation died. And so they spend 40 years in the wilderness waiting for that generation to die because they doubted the Lord and grumbled against him. Now, after leaving Kadesh Barnea, they stay there for a little bit apparently, and then it takes 38 more years to get to 40. So they spend 38 years after leaving Kadesh before the last of that generation drops dead. So, in the Old Testament, in the wilderness, after they left Kadesh, Israel was, was um, outside the promised land for 38 years, and then they went inside. They were delivered. And now in John chapter 5, when we'll see some comparisons between Moses and Jesus coming up here, this man has been outside of health, if you will, and he's about to be delivered after waiting for 38 years to be made whole. And that's the next point. Jesus says to this man, do you want to be healed in the ESV? Which is not a bad translation, but we could do better because the question is actually, do you desire to be made whole? Or do you desire to be whole? Now, that's not just a question about a physical ailment. That's not just about being a paralytic. That's about the whole person Body, mind, soul, spirit. Remember, this is Jesus, the creator, speaking to him. And when God made Adam and Eve in the garden, they were whole. They were perfect in every way, body, soul, mind, and spirit. And it was sin that corrupted them. It was what made them less than good, less than whole. And so, Jesus is saying to this man, do you want to be a new creation in me, in body and mind and soul and spirit? So, the creator who makes all things new says to him, do you want to be whole? And the sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. So the short answer is, yes, I want to be whole. I want to be healed. I want to be a new creation. But at this point, all the man knows is that there's apparently some miracle that takes place in this pool at Bethesda for the first one who gets there. The man doesn't need the pool at Bethesda, though. He needs God in the flesh. And so, Jesus says to him in verse 8, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And we read, and at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. So, again, this is Jesus the creator. Remember chapter 1, verse 3, through him all things were made. And so, the creator who once created light by saying, let there be light, now says to this man, take up your bed and walk, or get up, take up your bed and walk. And then by his creative word, he makes this man a new creation. And once again, the Greek doesn't say he was healed. It says the man was made whole. And 
since Jesus told him to pick up his bed and walk, and Jesus has the power to make him a new creation, the man does what Jesus says. He takes up his bed and walks. There's really no reason for him to carry that that pallet. It's not really a bed or a mattress. It's kind of a pallet that the, the invalids would lay on there. He could just leave that there for the next guy. So there's really no reason for him to carry it except that Jesus tells him to, and perhaps Jesus tells him to, to get the attention of the Pharisees, because we read this, end of verse 9, Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is a Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. All right, and sure enough, the Ten Commandments have that third commandment, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And in the Ten Commandments, God commands people not to work on the Sabbath. In fact, in the wilderness, a man gathers sticks on the Sabbath, and for that work, he's stoned to death in the wilderness. So here's this man openly carrying something on the Sabbath, and and, and the rabbis have pointed out in, in, in their rules about God's law that it is forbidden to carry something from one place to another. Now, keeping the Sabbath is probably the most obvious demonstration of one's commitment to keeping the law. And so not only is, is this man apparently breaking the law, but it's kind of an in-your-face thing. I mean, if he committed some other sin, they wouldn't notice. But to work on the Sabbath, that gets everybody's attention. It's, it's kind of like, to them, the, the unforgivable sin. All right? So, according to the law and according to the third commandment, the man is sinning. He's breaking God's law. He's violating the law of Moses. Well, Who can make an exception to the law of God? How about God who gave the law? And that's what this man said. They they say, it is a Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to take up your bed. And he answered them in verse 11, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. All right. So the one, the one who made him whole on the Sabbath the one who spoke to heal him on the Sabbath, he's the one who said, take up your bed and walk. And if this man, this mystery man, has the authority and the power to heal him for the first time in 38 years and make him whole on the Sabbath, why wouldn't he do what that man says? Because now he is made whole, which means now he is a new creation. And if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. So in verse 12, they, the Jews, their leaders, really the Pharisees, asked him, Who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn and there was a crowd in the place. Now the Pharisees aren't asking out of curiosity, They want to prosecute. They already don't like Jesus. And when Jesus told this man to pick up his bed and walk, there are kind of two choices here. Either Jesus is blaspheming by commanding the man to break the third commandment to work on the Sabbath, or else 
Jesus has authority to tell the man to break the Sabbath law, which would mean Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God. What do they choose? If you read through the rest of John 5, they choose to believe that Jesus has broken the Sabbath, that he's guilty of blasphemy, and they want him put to death right away. However, the man doesn't know who healed him, oddly enough, and Jesus has disappeared into the crowd. So we read in verse 14, Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. So again, a couple of great things here. Um, the most direct route again from the Pool of Bethesda to the temple where Jesus finds him would be the Sheep Gate. So this man has gone through this gate most probably to get to the temple. And remember that Jesus says elsewhere in John, I am the door of the sheep. And so, as this man has used the sheep gate to enter the temple, so Jesus is the gate by which he enters into heaven. And then Jesus says to him in the temple, See, you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Now, the first part is, see, you are whole. You are a new creation. You are, you are redeemed in body, mind, soul, and spirit. You are holy before God by my grace. Is all packed in that word, you are whole. Then Jesus says, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you, which sounds like a bit of a threat. But let's put this in context. Remember the Israelites back in the wilderness? They were washed and made God's people in the Red Sea. The promised land was theirs. And so they were, they were redeemed, made whole, if you will, by their deliverance from Egypt. And what did they do? They grumbled and they died in the wilderness. This man has been made whole, but he's still in a sinful world. So if he returns to a life of impenitent sin, if, if, if being whole doesn't matter to him, then he will return to, to, um, to a life of death, and he will instead face hell for his sin. So as Jesus would say to you and me, hey, I've taken away your sins. Go and sin no more so that you remain alive. He says to this man, go and sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. And then the text ends with the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. Now, some have said, traitor, this man healed by Jesus goes and rats him out to the Pharisees so they can get him. But given the whole arc of this story, it's not that at all. Instead, this man wants to, wants to spread the good news. Who was it who healed me? It's Jesus. Maybe he has good news for you too. So, so the man goes and tells Jesus' enemies that it's Jesus who made him whole. It's Jesus who is the creator. It's Jesus who is the redeemer. And while some may think that he's betraying Jesus, this is how Jesus makes enemies into his holy people by his holy word. All right. So this, this story continues on, but that's the scope of our Sunday school lesson for this week. So again, the big points are Jesus, through whom all things were made in the beginning, now makes this man whole, makes him a new creation at the pool of Bethesda. 
It's very baptismal. This man is by water to be healed. Once it's not just water, but it's water and the word made flesh there. That's when this man is made a new creation by Jesus. It's right by the sheep gate where the sheep are led into the temple, um, into the city to go to the temple. And, and so Jesus is the Lamb of God who offers himself for us. He's the door of the sheep that we may enter in. And, and so the man, once healed, enters through that gate to get into God's house. Um, there's this, there's this uh, tension between Moses and Jesus, between law and gospel. And the law of God holds... And the only one who can set aside the law of God is God. And so here Jesus says, you don't need the Sabbath law. You need the Lord of the Sabbath. And so Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath and our Sabbath rest, heals the man and makes him whole. Just as in baptism, Jesus has made you whole. So before God, you are redeemed and holy in body, mind, soul, and spirit, and eternal life is yours. So that's our quick look at John chapter 5, verses 1 through 15 this week. God bless your continued meditations upon this text. God grant you every good gift if you're teaching this to others. And until we speak again, the peace of the Lord be with you. Goodbye.